Hello and welcome to No Earthly Reason with Jody and Marsha. We are on episode six, but today we are talking about chapter five in Transcending the Heart When God Sent Me the Ghost. How are you, Marsha? I'm doing great. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has. So it's taken me a minute here to get my elements about me and figure out what's going on. Um, today, um, chapter five, uh, I noticed you called it uh, Reawakening is the chapter title. And I guess just give us a little bit of information on, I mean, we're moving through the book and chapter five already. What were you thinking when you named it Reawakening? Well, Jody, I've been thinking back that I realize now that I've been sensitive since I was a child, sensitive to situations and these no earthly reason type of things happening to me. But you just sort of tuck them away because you don't think they're supposed to be, you're supposed to believe it. You, right. I had trouble believing that this stuff was real. Mm-hmm. And so I just tucked it away and I've had these experiences and visions and mystical things that had happened and I sort of put it in a box. And that's why I called it the reawakening because um, as I, these adventures happened to me as an adult and I started looking backward, I realized that I basically kind of reawoke to past experience that I've had off and on most of my life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, this chapter starts off by talking about leaving your home forever, like the home you were raised in, basically, and you bought a house. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and that experience? Well, it was my first house and it was nothing special. But like I said in the book, it was mine Mm -hmm. and I was living alone and I was just laying in bed one night and my door was bedroom door was wide open and the water heater and the furnace kept making these odd noises and not knowing anything about maintenance of those types of things I just realized that a water heater shouldn't be making these sounds like pop 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 like it's going to explode Mm -hmm. so I decided to get up and investigate and before I got out of bed I looked over at my bedroom door and I saw a shadow man standing there leaning on the side of the door frame mm-hmm. with one foot propped up, kind of like what you see these wood carve cutouts, you know, back in the day, a lot of people put on, on their farm or by their garage doors, mm-hmm. just one knee up and leaning back, but he was smoking a cigarette and everything was a dark shadow, but I could see the red embers of the end of the cigarette. And when he took a, a drag oh on it, gosh. is that what you call it? Because I, I don't so. smoke. I don't <laughs> when he took a puff, yes, I could see the red embers flicker. And then he tapped on the mm-hmm. cigarette as if he was knocking the ashes off. Well, this absolutely floored me. And I laid there and really slowly put the covers up over my Mm -hmm. head and that's how I stayed like they were going to protect me and that's how I stayed till morning when the light uh, of the sun came up I leapt out of bed I went to the door I looked for ashes and there was absolutely nothing there Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then it reminded me of uh, a dream I used to always have as a child. That And it's strange. And I always I couldn't explain it. Mm-hmm. But I was always on the on an airplane, but not in an airplane, on the outside of the airplane, holding on to the wing. Oh, wow. And it was in a nosedive. Mm-hmm. But every time it would come to a stop, just like in a cartoon, before it hit the ground. And I'd hop off, just like in the cartoon, and go about my way. I had this dream off and on for probably three years as a young child. And that kind of popped into my mind as if, like, no matter what frightening thing is happening in your life, it's going to stop, and you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I thought of that, brought me a little bit of, of comfort, and this is like all the puzzle pieces starting to come together. And I never saw the man again. Hmm. However, my neighbor that I really didn't know, he was an elderly man, he died and his nephew was at the house and told me that the former owner of the house that I now live in and his uncle were friends and they would sit out back and smoke cigarettes together Mm -hmm. and that the owner of my house actually died in the house of emphysema Hmm. so that sort of took another puzzle piece and Mm -hmm. fitting it in how the history of a building or former owners and experiences that you have can connect right and so um, part of the next part as reading through uh, chapter five you talk about growing up in the 60s um, as a child with your parents and um, again, it kind of circles back to your title, reawakening, and maybe um, feelings from that you've, you know, pushed down and you just didn't realize were there. We're obviously coming through um, your writing. So tell us a little bit about um, that part of your life. Uh, what was it like growing up in the 60s with the parents and what kind of things did you experience? Well, back in those days, parents were more about well, at least the parents on the block I grew up in, <laughs> were, were more about socializing uh, with each other than doing things specifically mm-hmm. to include the children and making it a family event. And that included the every Friday night big party at someone's house on the, on the street that we lived in. And when it was my parents' turn to host that party, I was pretty much staying in my room now my bedroom wall shared the wall of uh the living room Mm -hmm. and that's back in the day the big long pieces of furniture that was a record player and a radio with the big built-in speakers right against my bedroom wall so there was no sleeping for me that night because it was boom 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 whatever music they were playing (laughs) and they would be drinking and telling jokes and smoking and it was my job at around age 11 to empty the, the ashtrays and the booze glasses. I mean, no wonder you never smoked. That had to be a stinky job. <laughs> well, and then my mother smoked. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I never started smoking, because I grew up with a, with a parent that smoked regularly. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer in... Uh, I tell you, it was from diagnosis to death was three months. Mm. It was the fastest thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, that ever happened to 
you know, that I've experienced. My mother was only 54. I was only 28 years old wow. when I lost my my mother. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is, is devastating at that age because I had two young children and now their grandmother was gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, moving along a little bit, um, sort of bringing it back to no earthly reasons, um, you were um, shopping one day and somebody briefly like, stopped you to put your name or pull a number and uh you ended up well tell us what happened with that and you can explain it better than I just did probably okay what had happened is my mother died so quickly right and at her funeral I and I noticed that there were these two butterflies that just were flying around the casket it was graveside services only so we were outside Mm -hmm. and that was what she wanted Mm-hmm. And Jody, I tell you, I just got watching these butterflies. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe it. They just went up and down and around the casket, mm-hmm. and they never left mm-hmm. until the pastor that was doing the little burial service said amen, and then they fluttered away. Mm-hmm. So losing my mother was very hard on me. It was very hard to get back with life without her. But I did, and I needed to get my sewing machine repaired. So I went, this is back in the day where you had to go downtown for everything. So I went downtown to the big department store, and I had my heavy sewing machine in hand, and I'm walking across the floor when somebody stops me and says, oh, we're having a jewelry cleaning demonstration, and Mm -hmm. we're going to give something away, a piece of jewelry, after the demonstration Mm -hmm. of course obviously to get you to stay and watch and maybe buy the the jewelry cleaner so I put my sewing machine down she handed me a card with the number 10 on it and I waited and I watched but I was in a hurry I would I was done I was picking up my sewing machine and started to take a few steps to the repair department when they suddenly yelled out the number 10 was the winner Mm. I was shocked because I never win anything same (laughs) and so real quickly the guy came up and took my card and gave me this little box and everybody had scattered and I was all by myself and I opened that up in the anticipation because I never want anything right and it was a gold necklace and the charm on the necklace was a butterfly so when I was reading it the book I actually in my mind predicted when it says like you won or whatever I'm like it's going to be a butterfly like it was like I knew um and then I wonder if your number 10 um has any significant or is it a number that you've ever recognized before I wonder if that has anything to do with anything well quickly thinking back it really doesn't but now I'm going to pay attention moving forward right (laughs) now if we start seeing 10s everywhere yes "Mm." (laughs) um so your mother had passed away and somewhere in this process you had moved to Florida and you were celebrating I think her one year anniversary of her death um tell us about that uh you know what did you do to relax and what was significant about that day well my mother we were planning on moving to Florida during my mother's before my mother's quick illness Mm -hmm. and she had asked me please don't move 
don't leave me. And I said, well, if nothing else, we'll take you with us. But the illness was so quick that, you know, that that wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. And so it really wasn't that we were, that I was celebrating. Yeah, I was still mourning my mother's death uh, after a year. But we moved to Florida and out on the lanai, uh, right in a lanai is a screened-in porch, and we had a, a swimming pool out front, and it was a beautiful day. There were a few white puffy clouds in the sky, and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't remind anybody. I kind of wanted this moment to myself, mm-hmm. and I sat out there. My mother passed away a year earlier at 445 in July, and this was July a year later, and at 430, I went out in the lanai, set up a chair, poured myself a glass of wine, mm-hmm. and started just reminiscing about some of the good times with my mom and, and the illness and her passing. And exactly at 445, I raised my glass of wine, and I said, here's to you, Mom. I love you. And it immediately started to rain. Well, I'm sorry. I know Florida weather is different from Ohio weather, but that is no coincidence. Mm -hmm. And I really don't believe in coincidence, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So I ran in. I told my husband. My husband's like, that's just part of the grieving process. You know how it goes sometimes. And you try to tell somebody something spiritual has happened, and they try to explain it away. Mm -hmm. Well, he ran out and found it hadn't rained in the driveway right next to where our swimming pool was it was pouring in the pool Mm. and uh Mm -hmm. so we just tucked it away and never talked about it for like decades Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that again that's part of the reawakening Mm -hmm. yeah interesting um something else that you during this uh chapter talk about is your dad and his second wife lou so um, you talk about her illness. So maybe explain that to us. And then um, there's sort of like a series of events that happened with after all of that. Yes, my dad's second wife uh, ended up with a kidney function failure. Mm-hmm. And she actually needed a kidney transplant, which she did receive fairly quickly you know, we were all surprised but happy. Mm-hmm. And what we didn't know uh, about kidney transplants is in some people, the anti-rejection medicine can cause tumors to pop up, just mm-hmm. little tumors. Mm-hmm. And that started with her. And it would be a biopsy every time. And every time they would pop up, they were coming back benign. Mm-hmm. However, one finally came back positive for cancer. And she was doing really well otherwise, and her doctor gave her the green light to be able to travel again. And she and my dad spent every winter in Key West, and that's where she wanted to go. She was betting that she was on limited time, and so they were going to fly down to Key West to buy a house mm-hmm. and, and pretty much live there majority of the year and come back up here for summers because she wanted to live in what she called her paradise. We all have that. <laughs> so the day they were going to fly down, they had a friend going to drive them to the airport, and then I was to pick them up when up on their return. 
But I had gone over that day before they left to get the perishables out of their refrigerator, to say goodbye. And when she handed me the piece of paper with the information on the return flight, Mm -hmm. I had a premonition. It was the oddest feeling. Mm -hmm. It was just like something came over me, and I knew I wasn't going to need that information. I wouldn't be picking them up from the airport. And I just got chills. And I just stood there, and she shook the paper, and she goes, come on, take it. You are going to pick us up, aren't you? And I snapped out of it. I said, yes, I will. And I put it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I knew, Jody, something was going to happen. I just Mm -hmm. didn't know what. So they make it to Florida. They do some um, house searching, and they were going to have dinner with their friend Bev and her husband, correct? Um, you had had a nice night eating pizza and relaxing, and you get a phone call at 11 p.m.-ish. Um, what happens next? What were you thinking when the phone rang that late? <laughs> well... Having teenagers, it didn't startle me that the phone ran, rang that late. Mm-hmm. And yes, we just had a pizza, watched a movie, mm-hmm. had a small bottle of wine. We were just, we were feeling good. <laughs> and the phone rang and I picked it up with the intent. I was very happy. It's like, mm-hmm. hello. Mm-hmm. And it was Bev. And I go, oh, hi, Bev. How are you? And it was silence. And that's when the feeling came over me. Mm-hmm. I knew something was wrong something happened Mm -hmm. uh it was bad news and sure enough um bev gave me the information that my parents were involved in a head-on car collision on the seven mile bridge Mm -hmm. and uh, lou was killed instantly and my dad was seriously injured so when i was reading that i literally like like i gasped for air because it, I, I was expecting that she got sick while they were there because of her illness before they left. So, like, reading that totally took a different twist and just my cognitive, like, what I was thinking cognitively. Like, I literally thought, oh, gosh, she's having this. She's going to get sick there, get in the hospital. But then that <laughs> took it just a different way for me um, after that. So... So anyway, so you you get this message. um, You do what the next day? Well, it wasn't the next day. It was that night. Uh, We were on the phone making airline reservations Mm -hmm. for me to get down there ASAP. At the time, my brother, my older brother, lived in California. Mm -hmm. So he was going to let me fly down because I could get there quicker and easier. Absolutely. uh, And uh, assess the situation. Mm -hmm. And... The situation was not good and um, I was sort of functioning in zombie mode at this time it was just do it get down there um, and see what was going on and I get down there and the weather is warm and the sun is shining and the tropical breeze is blowing and there I stood getting ready to enter the hospital and go spend 30 days in an ICU unit with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly, when you entered and your dad knew you were there, um, he was uh, maybe 
in bad shape, but he really had a lot of details for you. I tell you, his mind was fine. I yes. thought he would be unconscious. Mm -hmm. um, now, he had every machine hooked up to every other part of his body, but his mind was clear, mm -hmm. and he was able to give me the, the details of, uh, of mm -hmm. the incident and what had happened. Mm -hmm. And they were heading, they pretty much decided on the house they were going to make an offer on. Mm -hmm. They were heading up the bridge to go to the next key where, to dinner with their friends. And um, Lou decided she was tired, and so she leaned her seat back to take up what they called power naps back then mm -hmm. she was actually asleep when the accident happened mm -hmm. so it was somebody that it was drug related and I really can't explain what happened to her but she crossed the center line and the, the uh, collision happened and they the front ends of both cars hit together and went up to form like the letter capital letter A and then came slamming down and it was during that time that Lou was killed because with her seat reclined the seat belt couldn't hold her in place and she actually flopped and the, the deadly blow was on her forehead on the dashboard mm -hmm. and when it came back down she was just slumped in her chair. The airbag just deployed mm -hmm. and which probably saved my dad's life. It was only on the driver's side. This was many many years ago. Mm -hmm. And my dad looked over and patted her on the back and knew she was gone. Mm -hmm. She basically, Jody, um, left this world for the next in a blink of an eye. Right. Stuff like that literally makes you realize that your life forever changes in literally a second. Yeah. I mean forever changed. Yeah. It's happened to me on several occasions. <laughs> well, I've been there too. Um, so... Your brother, Larry, lived in Florida at the time? Yes. Yes. Um, and tell us a little bit about him then. Um, my brother and my dad had been estranged for 10 years, so my younger brother uh, wasn't coming to help me. Uh, he was support on the phone. I could call him whenever I wanted, but uh, he didn't feel it was his place to be there. So after this, we got my dad moved back uh, to Ohio, and we had the memorial service for Lou, and things were getting kind of back to normal. Mm -hmm. You know, it. I really can appreciate COVID-19, what normal really is. It's been going on off and on forever <laughs> for me. My life. So my life is finally again, after the death of my mother and now the death of my stepmother and the serious injury of my dad, which he did survive. It took six months mm -hmm. after um, the accident for him to be able to be home alone by himself. Well, and the other thing is um, you actually had to have him flown home on a medical type was it a helicopter no a it was a, it was a private jet yeah um from florida so you can could continue his care but um anyway sorry that we got off track a little bit then i was going to talk about larry and his part in it well larry didn't really have a part in that mm -hmm. in that part right but um he was in florida uh not far mm -hmm. um from uh, where you know we used to live mm -hmm. he, he was actually when this happened he was actually living in vero beach on the beach 
So, I um, mean, I'm wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> Who wouldn't on a nice day? But Larry was. Uh, I have to call him my younger brother because if I called him my little brother, he would point out that, no, I'm much smaller than he is. <laughs> so he's my younger brother. Mm-hmm. And so life back in Ohio now for me is getting back on track. You know, again, whatever normal is, mm-hmm. it was going pretty good. And it was only a matter of six months later that I get a phone call from my younger brother's employer in Florida informing me that... Uh, my brother had committed suicide, and um, I was his next of kin to notify. So it was another trip flying back to Florida mm-hmm. uh, to take care of his estate. My younger brother was not married, had no children, and so he had left me as his beneficiary. What, how, what was the time frame between Lou's accident and then this happening? Like how many years? Probably... Or about probably total from the accident because it was a long recovery process right and then I my life was back in order mm-hmm. to normal again I would say just under two years total oh, wow. so wow. it wasn't long right and wasn't he preparing to come back to Ohio to yes you? yeah yes he he actually had called me and and told me that uh, he was going to come up he was going to stay with me and thank you, for re- thank you for reminding me, Jody. He did say he had a little bit of a health issue going on, mm-hmm. that uh, he was going to come stay with us um, mm-hmm. to see family, and not necessarily that I was going to take care of him. He didn't tell me what the health issue was. <laughs> right. I was just glad that um, he was coming because he hadn't been back up here to Ohio, oh, well over a decade mm-hmm. at this time. So... Um, I was expecting that call, not the call that, so apparently he had a terminal illness that he did not share with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gathered this information up through uh, doctor bills and receipts and medications and talking to his neighbors that he actually uh, had a terminal illness and was in severe pain. And so we figured that's why he lay on his bed and shot himself in the chest. Wow. Wow. So I always think, well, I know my life has been a little bit tough and rocky, but then when I'm reading your book, it makes you feel like you're not alone. (laughs) It makes you feel like there's other people out there that have experienced some chaotic situations. And I'm not alone either, to be honest with you. Life is tough. Oh, it's hard. I always say whatever your shade of normal is. I always call it the shade of normal because everybody's shade might is a little bit different shade color. Um, so you, um, get Larry's estate and all those things taken care of. Um, you had him cremated. What did you do with his ashes? Well, we, uh, we packed up whatever the things that we thought family and friends might want into a moving truck. And we Mm -hmm. drove it back from Florida to Ohio with his cremated remains in the back of that Mm -hmm. truck with us Mm -hmm. because we had enough time down there that we had to take care and wrap up of things we were able to have him cremated. We did hold a memorial service in Florida for his friends, Mm -hmm. and we held another one up here in Ohio for his old friends and family. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we got up here, um, we actually, we have a family farm. It's on my dad's side of the family, and... 
all the grandkids, my brothers, myself, we pretty much grew up. It's recreational farmland, and we grew up there, and we have trails, and we have hiking, and we have rowboats and a canoe, and now we have kayaks, and we have a campsite. It's really just a fun, a fun place to be. And that's where Larry had spent a lot of time before um, he moved to Florida uh, with his friends doing paintball and campouts and Mm -hmm. cookouts. And so I thought that was the appropriate place to spread his ashes. Mm -hmm. So um, things are getting back to whatever shade of normal it is for your life again. And then you started noticing um, something around your house. By this time, I had a couple of young grandchildren Mm -hmm. that came over frequently, but they didn't live with us. Mm -hmm. And I started finding pennies in the weirdest places. (laughs) And they'd be on the floor. They would be on the bathroom counter. And I got to thinking, you know, that they're probably the grandkids' pennies. Mm -hmm. But it continued happening when they weren't there. And so I just started taking the pennies everywhere I'd find them, and I put them in a, in a jar. It was a small jelly jar, and saving it for the kids, thinking it's them. Well, I talked to the grandkids, and they said, no, that they don't have any pennies. They don't bring pennies to Grandma's house. Mm-hmm. So I just kept collecting them. I'd find them on the kitchen table. I'd find them on my nightstand when I got up in the morning and they weren't there when I went to bed and you found them in your coat pocket yeah now that was this that was the final straw because I never keep coins in my coat pocket and because I always have problems with the pockets ripping the Mm -hmm. lining so it got to where I had to get a bigger jar the the little jelly jar was overflowing so I got a a bigger jar Mm -hmm. and poured the pennies in and I just couldn't believe it. So the one day I found it in my coat pocket, I was going to meet two friends for lunch. And there I was looking for a tissue. And in my pocket was a handful of pennies, four or five pennies. Mm-hmm. And so I went to lunch and I told my friends about this story. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of keeping this to myself. And they totally believe that this could happen, Mm -hmm. that a loved one could leave you pennies as a sign that uh, they're thinking of you Mm -hmm. or they want you to think of them, Uh, you know, who knows? So one of my friends said laughingly, next time, ask him to leave you silver coins. Right. So funny, I did that night. I stood in the kitchen and I said, Larry, I realized you must be leaving me these pennies, and Mm -hmm. thank you very much. And I said, but next time, can you leave some silver coins? Laughing, I went to bed. The next morning, I got up, and on my placemat, on the kitchen table, was a handful of coins, pennies mixed with silver coins. My husband was the only person in the house So I asked him, did you happen to empty your pockets and put these coins on the table? And he had not. Mm. So I laughed. I acknowledged my brother Mm -hmm. and I thanked him again. And that was the last time he he ever left me pennies or coins. Wow. Wow. So um, 
before I do, I guess, my closing, is there anything else in the book or any other experiences that have to do with this that you didn't leave that you want to share? Oh, sure. In fact, I always try to, to include something that's not in the book. Mm-hmm. And one incident that is not in the book was uh, my ex-husband. Uh, he, he died at age 49, and we had been divorced a long time, and I remarried, and I had custody of our children. And, you know, everything was going fine, but he had some health issues himself due to early onset uh, drug abuse. And he just one night died in his sleep. So my children, who are now adults, drove to where he was in Nebraska, took care of his stuff, um, had him cremated, and um, they brought home his belongings that they wanted. And my son came home with this giant portable stereo. It looked like a boom box because it was for indoor and outdoor. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was no big deal. He was, you know, but my son uh, was gone that day, and I was home alone. And all of a sudden, that stereo starts playing this music that I was not a fan of. It was my ex-husband's type of music. <laughs> and it kind of <laughs> drive me nuts. It's that, and I don't, I don't even know if I should say what it is, because I have no... Aff- I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> we might not want to go there. Okay. So anyway, I go downstairs and I turn it off. And I and I go about my business. I'm cleaning the house. I'm up we're in a tri-level home. This is mm-hmm. in the, the lower level. I'm up on the, the top level. And there goes the music again, just blaring. So I'm thinking this thing is malfunctioning. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. So I go downstairs, and I not only turn it off, but I unplug it from the electrical outlet. Needless to say, a few minutes later, blaring again. And now it's getting my attention. And it should be noted, Jody, this was way before I had this reawakening, before I did any paranormal investigating. I wasn't even thinking Mm -hmm. in this mindset at all. So now I'm starting to think Twilight Zone. Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go back downstairs thinking, okay, it's running on battery power because oh, it's an indoor say, outdoor. Maybe there's batteries stuck in it. So I go to open the battery compartment to remove the batteries, and there weren't any batteries. Mm-hmm. I picked that stereo up, took it upstairs, opened the garage door, chucked it out in the garage, and slammed the door. <laughs> Wow. So whatever was the end of the boombox, what did you do with the boombox? Um, my son gave it to a friend. Oh. <laughs> Got rid of it? Yeah. Got it the heck out it, of there? It was, you know, it was going. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I When we talked before, I've shared, I shared an experience before with an electronic. It was a coffee pot, though, and it wasn't plugged in. I don't know what was going on, but it was my stepdad. So I've already shared that. But that reminds me of that because I was like, hi, Steve. Like, I know you're here. It's sort of like they just want to get your attention mm-hmm. one last time yeah. to either say goodbye or to say we're okay. Well, and when you're talking about you drove home with your um, brother's uh, cremation or whatever with you, um, my stepdad was cremated too, and he was like in this box, and then he was in a green bag, and this is 
horrible, but if you knew him, it would be funny because he would think it was funny. He was in the back of my car for a really long time, and I had a like a Jetta Volkswagen, but it was the like uh, wagon kind, so the trunk was actually kind of part of the car. Anyways, I had him in the back of that for the longest time, and I would turn a corner, and it would flop over. And I would say, oh, there goes Steve again. Or I'd turn and you'd hear him slide. And that's when Hayden was a baby. So, like, there was always a baby jogger in the back. And, I mean, we used to laugh so hard. Um, but, anyways, we put his ashes on his mom's grave. And so he's where he wants to be because he adored his mother. But that made me think of that because it was so <laughs> funny. Um, so, at the very um, end of your chapter, like wrapping up, you uh, make a reference that you know you felt like a shaken snow globe um obviously two years uh, a lot of just sort of tragedy really I mean a car accident a, a a suicide um getting them back from Florida to Ohio so when you reference the shaken snow globe um like how were you feeling what were you thinking well it was sort of like reality truly setting in mm. uh it was sort of like smacking you upside the head come on mm-hmm. you know this stuff is real mm-hmm. uh you don't tuck us away in a box mm-hmm. keep these memories going these experiences really did happen and mm-hmm. and that really enticed my curiosity and enhanced my uh my reasoning for doing these paranormal investigations mm-hmm. i was on a quest mm-hmm. and it really I'll, i'm going to read the end of this of this chapter oh. Um, My mind felt like a freshly shaken snow globe, recalling and acknowledging the signs and messages that I had received over the years was a surreal reawakening. Now my focus was to pay closer attention and to not be afraid. Participating in ghost hunting has given me a heightened awareness and improved instinctive capabilities. I consider these after-death communications gifts from the other side and I don't want to miss a single one. So that's why I call it the reawakening. Stay focused. Keep your eyes open. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that wraps it up with Jody and Marsha. Next time we meet, we will be discussing Chapter 7. And in the meantime, I guess stay focused for no earthly (laughs) reasons. Until next time, we will see you and we will be talking about transcending the heart when God sent you the ghost. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Marcia.